This show will pollute listeners' ears with foul language, occasional sexually explicit content, and more irony than is allowed for single episodes. Last several years, distributors of obscenity have expanded into new areas, employing new technologies and reaching new audiences. Neither our constitution, our courts, our people, nor our respect for common decency and human suffering will allow this trafficking in obscene material. Cinema psyops, which exploits women and men alike, to continue sharing filth-laden desires on mic to warp the brains of listeners until they are all demented deviants. Federal laws are being violated, and thus I am committed to redoubling the federal effort to ensure that those criminal elements who are trafficking in obscenity are pursued with a vengeance and prosecuted to the hill. The fact that society is becoming much more open now, less repressed, and I think there's less need for cinema psyops. Without dignity, they shout into the void in a vain attempt to be loved. Living in this culture now where there's just icebergs of filth floating through every house on Wi-Fi, it's inconceivable what it must be like to be a young adolescent now with this kind of access to cinema psyops. It must be dizzying and exciting, but corrupting in a way that we can't even think about. A pirate ship with a tattered flag, sailing across seas of questionable movies while firing cannons of disdain. Cinema Psyops. Long may she sail. Hello and welcome to Cinema Psyops, the podcast that's really fucking tired of doing this and why are you still listening to it? I'm your currently pissed off host having problems with equipment that just can't be resolved because no one wants to help him with it. My name is Court and joining me via Skype because he can't be fucking bothered to come into the fucking studio anymore is Matt. Fuck it. Fuck everyone. We'll do it fucking live. Fuck it. We'll do it live. You you play it. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Fuck it. People, we totally care. We're here for you. We care. We're doing this for you. We care. And I care so much that I'm using air quotations that no one can fucking see. God damn it. This has been a hell of an ordeal. We're starting way fucking later than I wanted to. And probably you wanted to, too, because you got shit you got to do in the morning. Oh, God. The fucking headphone amp that I have used for I don't know how long now that has been really solid is apparently deciding that it's going to distort all of the audio. And basically, anytime I try to pan something left or right, it just distorts the other channels. So now I need a new fucking headphone amplifier. Yeah, that's fun. Which is fine now that I'm alone in the studio because I got this ghetto ass rig where I just ran it through a separate amp and I'm using that for headphones because it's just me. Yeah, but next week. Well, the only reason I haven't noticed it is because the only time I do the pans is I put you on the left and me on the right or me on the right and you on the left, depending. Yeah. Currently, I'm on the left and you're on the right. Mm, Freaking socialist. And by doing that, I can make it so that we're on separate channels on the stereo recorder and so whenever we talk over each other or when Skype pickups and it makes weird noises or anything like that I can cover it and get rid of it while I'm talking if it happens underneath me and then if your stuff screws up I can have you repeat it if it's bad and then I can just delete out the sections that suck it makes it easier to edit because Skype fucking sessions always fucking suck yeah and part of the reason why we haven't been having guests is because Skype fucking sessions 
always fucking suck. Yes. And they're hard to do when you can't put that person on a separate channel. Yeah. And also, you and I don't play well over Skype. No, we don't. We don't. We have to be able to look at each other, engage facial reactions and stuff like that to be able to actually give the show that people like. Yeah, I, I agree. Unfortunately, I just didn't have any other choice. <laughs> yeah, we can't go into why. Let the people speculate. Let them make the memes. And yeah, yeah. I will say this. It's not because anyone's doxed you yet. So hashtag don't dox me, bro. Yeah, don't dox me, bro. I can't handle that. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a bit of a lean show this week. We're going to try and give some fucks. Although right now the field that our fucks are grown upon is now barren. Yes, Baron. We're going to try and uh, soldier on. We're going to try and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're going to try and get economic stability in an income inequality world. I'm just wondering where all that global warming went. You know what I mean? It's been so cold. Where's this global warming they're all talking about? I don't know. I know. It's like the world food problem where not everybody can eat. I mean, my fridge is full, so therefore, you know. Exactly. There's obviously no starvation. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck all that horse shit. I hate that (laughs) anecdotal joking around horse shit over other people's goddamn misery. Uh Fuck all of that, dude. (laughs) Well, if I'm miserable, so should everyone else be. Now, having said that, let's talk about a movie where we indulge in other people's fucking misery for our own entertainment. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, tonight we are talking about The House That Vanished, which is known under a plethora of other titles. My personal favorite is The House That Vanished. I think I like that one the best because that's basically what happens. They go to the house, something happens, she needs to get back to said house, then is unable to because said house has vanished. It's creepy, it's cooler. And does this feel like other movies that we have done recently to you, Matt? Yes. Do you know why? Same director? Yes. We're back with LaRaz, the same guy who did Symptoms, and then it was Black Candles was the LaRaz. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we've done two LaRazes so far besides this one, and this one falls in pretty well with the other two that we have done, and I did buy this Blu-ray specifically because it is a LaRaz film, and I wanted to see more of his work. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I was very interested in it, and uh, this definitely feels like LaRaz. We'll get into it a little bit further when we actually cover the movie, but we had to hit the prerequisite five-ish, six-ish minutes of patter Yeah, before we move on to the next segment because we need this pablum otherwise it's not a show the listeners <laughs> demand our pablum i don't know if they demand it so much as this is just what we do this is how the show has been set up and we don't know how to do a show otherwise without this structure god damn it court they demand it i don't think they demand anything other than court don't do any more solo shows because we fucking hate you oh they liked it uh, everything i saw they liked your solo show what did i tell you about listening to edge lord fuck them fuck them if they can't take a joke uh, i'm gonna cut all this out who gives a fuck anyway (laughs) i don't care if nobody likes me but anyway we're gonna take that ever so wonderful break to ask for the legion podcast patronage for our legion podcast patreon (laughs) i'm gonna have to take that out too god damn it i'm fucking in a mood tonight (laughs) this is gonna be a good one i'm gonna leave it all the references where i said now i'm gonna have to take that out yeah yeah there you go but I'm going to take out the shit that I said I'm going to take out. We're going to take a little break here. We're going to play some music that was featured very prominently in The House That Vanished, which is Beethoven's, I can't pronounce this, but Frau Ellis piano version hmm. concerto. And then the oh, rest finally of Finally the- something you can't pronounce. Awesome. <laughs> And uh, the rest of the music for the night will be all Beethoven all the time. Or for those of you that are just dying to hear it because you're fans of Bill and Ted, Beethoven. <laughs> when we come back, we'll have the trailer for The House That Vanished. This'll keep you quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You call me cutting a new show. 
I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash Legion Podcasts. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. recognize the Beethoven slash beef oven sonata in the movie when it was being played that little piano run uh I didn't at first but now I do yeah well you knew it was a classical music piece I'm sure and you probably recognized yeah something tells me that all of the classical music that you know has to do with cartoons because that's where I've learned the bulk of the classical music that I love it's very true you can uh credit Chuck Jones for that because he's the one that utilized a lot of classical music and did animating over top of that or in sync with the music and that's probably where a lot of my love for classical music comes from. I'm not going to try and pretend like I'm, you know, Mr. Highborn Education that loves classical music because it's so beautiful and wonderful in the height of all music. No, it's because fucking Chuck Jones put it in cartoons and I love it because I recognize it from that. That also sounds like an edgelord thing to say. Try to be edgy. I'm just being honest. I know. I'm just saying. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Chuck Jones had a lot to do with that. Yeah. But do you know what Chuck Jones had absolutely nothing to do with as far as I know? Is it this trailer? It is absolutely this trailer. Maybe it's too soon to talk about the summer of 72. That time when Paul and Valerie fell in love at first sight and went right out looking for a place to have an affair and kept looking until they found the house that vanished from the company that reminds you it's only 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 only
so they're the company that released Last House on the Left, and therefore they have the right to constantly do that over and over and over again to us. Thank you, movie. Thank you. <laughs> what, for the only a movie, only a movie? It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It is only a movie. As far as I know. It is only a movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this only a movie opens on a quiet bedroom at night with credits over top of the panning and the movement of the room. Like the camera just kind of moves through the room and pans back and forth. And then we see the credits for what's the actors and actresses and various people involved with the film and the crew. Now, this particular version that Matt and I reviewed is from a company called Dark Force Entertainment. It's a Blu-ray that they released and they have these like double movie blu-ray packs where you get two movies on one disc and they're doing the whole drive-in thing i haven't done the drive-in mode on this i only watched just this film from that and the film that they got the print of is cut to fuck it's all chopped up it has film breaks in it uh it's really noisy there's a whole bunch of film scratches and everything like that which in some cases adds to the charm i don't have a problem with it the issue that i have is it's a very incomplete version of the film it's what about 88 minutes does that sound right matt oh yeah okay now the actual movie length is somewhere around an hour and 30 minutes like 90 ish or so minutes and unfortunately the things that we lost in this particular version from the longer version that i was mentioning which is titled scream and die which is not a very good title but that version of it i think there's a vhs rip of it out there on youtube you can get your hands on to view and that seems to be the most complete version that you can get unfortunately it's a vhs VHS rip so it looks kind of crappy and it's uploaded to YouTube but it's out there and you can watch it that's where I found the comparisons here the very first thing that I noticed that's missing out of this version that Matt and I are talking about the opening of the film starts on the street and it shows and establishes the street that she lives on and then shows like an exterior shot of the house that she lives in that's like her broken up into apartments for her flat or what have you and then as it sort of moves in towards the house then it dissolves into her bedroom at night then the credits play and then obviously they change the title so the title pops up in very clearly spliced manner where there's noises in the background of the soundtrack, lots of popping and crackling and all of that kind of stuff. And then the title card looks completely different than everything else, which you will experience with these kind of grindhouse and re-released and retitled films. When that title disappears, then we see the camera once again moving through the bedroom, which is pretty much the same shot right before that drop in of the new title card. They just kind of continued it on or started it again before they cut and spliced in and then they move through and it reveals that we are in the bedroom of a young woman as it's swapping around and she is laying in bed asleep the camera starts to exit the room through the doorway of her bedroom when her alarm clock goes off and the young woman gets out of bed now as she's getting up and out of bed there is a photo of a gentleman on her wall which we're going to assume is the person that she is involved with romantically given where the picture is it looks like it's like the first thing she sees when she leaves her bedroom in the morning or what have you yeah they cut from this shot to a pub with various conversations going on in the background and that cut actually matches the man in the photograph to the man in the pub. He's got a woman to his right with red hair and then a gentleman to his left or vice versa and a screen left, his right, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Exit. Stage left. Yeah, but what we're actually seeing is the gentleman that she must be involved with is at a pub chugging him down while she's just getting up for work or whatever it is that she's doing to go about her day. Uh, 
she's lazy. Nobody just sets an alarm just to get up for the sake of getting up. They always have to set an alarm to get up for a specific purpose. I guess, yeah. I've never just gotten up to get up. <laughs> yeah, nobody ever just sets an alarm to just wake up in the morning. That's just no. not how it works. No, no, no. If I don't have to wake up at a certain time, I'm just going to sleep until my body tells me it's time to get up. I'm going to sleep until I have a headache from sleeping too goddamn much and a crink in my neck from the way that I fell asleep. That's how I sleep. You know, it's probably, it would be a bad thing if I ever won the lottery. I don't think I'd ever get out of bed. Like, I'd have no reason to. I just would want to sleep forever. They cut away from the drinking in the pub and we see the woman who was sleeping in bed is in fact a model. She is posing in a towel for her photographer that she is currently working with. They have a little bit of a dialogue. That is our very first clip. Al, I've got a really well-paid job for you. I'd like to take some nude shots of you for some paperbacks. Told you before, no. Why not? Because, no. It's no to me and yes to other photographers, isn't it? I've seen dozens of shots of you in the nude. The kind of nude shots I do for other photographers and the kind you want me to do are two completely different things. Are you suggesting I'm porno? Not porno, Kent. Just a bit lurid. You're so suburban, aren't you? Choosy. You'll change your mind. No, get on. Okay? Okay, that's nice. All right, so after this, we see a young teen boy in the back of a car flipping through the model's portfolio and focusing in on various cheesecake shots of her in her underwear while doing it. I mean, can you blame him? She's a gorgeous woman. Yeah, I mean, come on. But Court, are you suggesting that I'm porno? <laughs> Yeah, I love how he's like indignant about it and he spe- he specifically tells her he wants to do nude shots of her for paperbacks. That's code yeah, for, that's, for sleazy that's novels. Yeah, that's code for yeah. that's code for sex novels. She was going to be nude penthouse. on that. <laughs> No, it's not even Dear Penthouse. It's like the old school erotic novels from back in the day, and she would be the cover woman, which I could see given her look why she would be perfect for that, because, you know, blonde, tall, built woman like she is, she's going to be like pretty much every person's dream, regardless of what they're into. (laughs) Whatever it is. Anyway, he's trying to talk her into this and she says no. And he's just like all indignant about it where he's like, oh, so you think I'm just porno? And she's like, no, you're just sketchy as fuck. She has no problem posing for him wrapped in nothing but a towel. And that's fine. Yeah, I just think it's funny the way he said it. Porn, you think I'm porno? Yeah, well, you're you're not doing his accent justice, but anyway. Whatever. Yeah. Well, the young boy was looking through those cheesecake shots in her portfolio. She notices this from the front seat of the car, snags the book from him and she kind of gives him this little knowing cheeky smile as in yeah i know i'm hot why are you checking me out right and but it's like come on man it's not fair (laughs) this is all he had back then this is before you know like it was this in national geographic with nude pygmies that's all he had yeah this is his like this is his life so this trio of the young teen boy the model and the man from the pub driving this car they all sit in silence for what feels like an eternity during a very scenic drive through the british countryside it's beautiful it's really wonderfully shot and it's dripping with atmosphere but they sit in that car for a very long time and there's not but the sound of chewing and swallowing yeah right i mean it's like jesus man you could have used a score or something what's going on man anything please yeah so they pull up to a small town and drop off the brat after the man bums a viver from the model so very clear Clearly she is his sugar mama. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He says something about to give that to his mom and tell him that that's all there is. Is he paying child support? one fiver at a time here in the 70s? Is that what's going on? It seems it, man. Every couple weeks, just drop off a fiver and there's your child support. 
Leave me alone. Yeah, this guy's a fucking scumbag. Like, you can tell right off the bat. <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. Big time. He, This guy is not cool. This guy has no chill. Yeah, so that pair of the model and her scumbag boyfriend head out further into the country. They get apparently lost and stop to check a map. They have a bit of a conversation about what the fuck they are doing there. And that leads to our next clip. Look, could we be home early tonight? I'm dead tired. I've got to be up early in the morning. Yeah, won't be the same. Bloody house. It's got to be around here somewhere. You're never going to find it in this fog. I can't see a damn thing. Shut up. What's the matter? We've arrived. This must be the place. Yeah. Yeah, I'm dead certain this is the house. How on earth can you tell? Never you mind. That's my problem. Now listen, you just sit tight here in the car and I'll get back. I won't be long, just time to pick up a couple of things. Okay, so he's taking his girlfriend to a fucking robbery. What a real prick. <laughs> what a dick cock. What yeah. a shit. He is the fucking worst, man. You are a piece of human garbage. Alright, so during this, they drive off looking for the place that is their destination, and with the fog, things start to take on a very eerie and supernatural-like overtone as they this house that they're looking for all of a sudden seems to materialize just as they need it to or as he's about to give up. Now, at the end of the clip, it becomes apparent that the model's little boy toy here is a fucking piece of shit thief because he breaks right into that goddamn house and goes snooping about. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, we keep seeing his his shitheadedness knows no bounds. No. <laughs> just when you're like, okay, maybe he's not such a bad guy. There's something that she clearly likes about this dude. Then he does something else and you're like, no, no, very clear. Clearly, he is a piece of shit and deserves to die. Yeah, now he's he's all willing to break into a house that just fucking appeared like it's a room of requirement in Hogwarts. I mean, they're going out to a country to what is supposed to be a house that no one lives in for a while just so he can very specifically break in and take a look at what's going on and, you know, see if he's got anything worth stealing. So this is a job that he was set up to do. He was given directions. He just doesn't know if this is the right house or if this just is a house that will meet his requirements to rob because he's a piece of shit thief. Yeah, either way, piece of shit. Well, he leaves her out in the fucking cold and that piece of shit car that he owns because he is a piece of shit thief and this model gets very curious and also very cold and then decides to wander up into the house and then she heads inside all the while the images on the screen are dripping with gothic imagery and atmosphere we have the very typical Laraz stuff that we're used to seeing at this point from what we've covered before foggy backgrounds pastoral setting an old English manor house things in pretty much you know ill repair not looking so great and very creepy and dark all the way around. I love all of these shots where she walks up to that mansion. It looked awesome. It was very creepy and very cool. Yeah, that kind of, it built uh, tension a little bit. Yeah. I, I found myself kind of holding my breath like, oh fuck, oh fuck. Yeah, one of those oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. The whole time you're watching this, you don't give a shit about what's happening with him at all. It's not until she gets out of the car and starts wandering up to the manor house that you're like, no, no, don't, don't do that. Yeah, No, I want him to die uh, uh, swiftly and efficiently. Pretty much the moment he bums a fiver from her is what sealed the deal for me where I'm like, you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, right? Because you know that was for child support or like the 70s version of it in England at the time. Exactly. All right, so she wanders up this very creepy dark staircase and goes looking around the house herself as the quiet of the empty home is only broken up by the sound of an old grandfather clock ticking away. Tick, 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 which helps build the tension as well because you're waiting for that thing to go off and startle her or something else to happen. Yeah, exactly. 
Waiting for the jump scare. She goes snooping around and runs into her scumbag boyfriend. They have a bit of a confrontation between the two of them there. And that leads to our next clip. <gasps> what the bloody hell are you doing here? I told you to stay in the car. I was cold and worried. I want to go home. Shut up and keep quiet. So that's what you came here for. I'll leave it out, will you? Look, Terry, I won't leave it. I want to go home. I want to go home now. Listen, I don't want any arguments. You just get back to the car and wait for me understand you just wait in the car till i've finished get me oh i must have been an idiot to follow you you could be right darling dead right well what are you looking for shut up what's that load of bloody passports they've only given me the wrong address they're all women so what well a load of foreign passports and they're all young women it's a bit strange let's have a look yeah you're right that's a bit dodgy what are we gonna do don't panic let's get out of here too late somebody's coming we should have gone to my place instead of coming here. At least there we've got heat and light. And we could have had a cup of coffee too. Well, we need light anyway. But let's face it, this old house isn't exactly the ideal place for us to spend a few hours together. Never mind, we're here now. You know, you're a strange person. You ought to let me introduce you to some of my friends sometime. Aha, uh -huh. oh, I forgot. That story you told me in the car about, you know, disliking people and wanting to live a life of solitude. You know, if I owned this house, I'd sell it, complete with furniture and cobwebs. And then I'd buy a nice little flat in town. Yes, that's what I do. Few people know how to take advantage of the things they've got. Hey, what's the matter? Don't just sit there staring without saying anything. You know, you're not an easy person to get along with. You'd find it very difficult to get another girl to put up with all your strange whims and fancies. I think we've been pretty lucky to find one another. I think we get on very well. Aren't you going to put that cigarette out? Aren't you even going to take your gloves off? Wow, this woman just really trying so hard to please this man that she is with. Oh, yeah, big time. I shouldn't assume the gender of the would-be killer, but, you know, she's talking to him as though he is a man. Yes, but I will say this. She was pleasing me big time by getting undressed. Yes, that is a definite thank you movie that I haven't gotten to just yet. All right. Yeah, I'm just saying. I was very thankful. This uh, particular clip, as this is happening, we notice now that not only is Terry a using prick, he's also a very controlling and inconsiderate prick of a boyfriend to her. He constantly oh, belittles yeah. her and tells her to shut up nonstop, like everything she says. He's a piece of shit human being. He finds a plethora of young women's passports that we did mention earlier, or you heard earlier in the clip, which sparks curiosity just as the car pulls up with them trapped inside the house. And that's when another man and a woman entered that exact same room. And all of the woman's complaints about that home are valid as well. Talks about how cold it is. It's dusty. It's damp. It's not exactly the kind of place where they should be meeting for this type of tryst, but whatever. She's just happy. And all of the weird little quirky things that this particular person is into. He, she says that he's lucky that, you know, he found her and that they're into some of the same interests so it's a good thing that they found each other or something along those lines. And the whole time she's delivering that dialogue, as Matt had mentioned, she is slowly but surely disrobing while telling this man the business. But she gets undressed, bottoms first, nonetheless. So thank you movie there where she moves right for the bottoms. Oh yeah. Then she sits on his lap and removes her bra and that is a quadruple thank you movie. Mm -hmm. She then places the man's clearly killer gloved hands on her breasts, which was not so much a thank you movie because it blocked our view, but yeah. for that young actor or whoever was sitting there with the gloves on was probably like, thank you movie while that was happening. 
He's, uh, I think, the director for this opportunity. <laughs> he then flips open a stiletto-style switchblade and stabs her in the left side. And from what I could tell, it's about the area where her kidney was, so he was intending a kill shot the entire time there. Oh, yeah. She screams and falls backwards as the killer slashes at her neck. And it looks like he was supposed to have cut her neck, but the blood tube wasn't working right on the knife, but they just kept going. And then he starts slashing at like her chest and her torso and everything, all the while she falls backwards onto the bed. And then once she is completely on her back on the bed, he begins stabbing her in a frenzy style, then goes to clean his switchblade off in the bathroom sink. This didn't look at all like some type of symbolic sexual replacement with the knife the way he was stabbing at her in the bed did it no not at all not even a little bit what are you talking about shut up are you talking about penises <laughs> i mean he looked like he was replacing the fact that his penis wasn't working the way that he wanted it to with this particular woman by stabbing her with the knife yeah i mean maybe i don't know yeah he really ted bundied this one <laughs> Ooh, that's very timely yeah topical this gives the model a chance to escape which she does, making it all the way to the car before pausing to call out for Terry, her scumbag boyfriend. She looks in the car and pauses when she realizes there is no keys in the car. So I'm thinking if there were keys, she would have just left Terry here and I would have been fine with that. Me too. Me too. That's <laughs> fuck Terry. Yeah. She then goes looking for him in the foggy atmospheric woods as she hears some type of a noise and gets spooked and then hides behind a tree. This whole sequence of her running through the fog covered woods also builds a lot of tension and you really do feel and worry for her. Oh yeah, big time. It appears that the killer did hear her or knows that she is there and is on the prowl for her. We can tell by the same coat and gloves we saw when he murdered the woman upstairs. So she runs off. And from what I could see, she could not find the keys in the car. And that is the only time she was concerned where Terry was, because as we mentioned earlier, she definitely would have left his ass there where the keys in the car. Oh yeah, big time. I would fuck. I was I was rooting for her to leave his ass there. Honestly, I think that would have almost been like a better thing where she drives off and then is found later on specifically by the car or like let's say her portfolio falls out of the car or something and then it's back in the car or who knows. But yeah, like they the, the, whoever the killer is finds her by that. But I think it would be great that she leaves Terry there because of how shitty he was treating her and how angry she was at the situation she was in and terrified. And then her guilt drives her to try and find Terry, and that's what gets her on the killer radar. I, I like that idea. Yeah. Now, was any of this stuff in the full-length version that we didn't watch that was available on YouTube from the VHS rip? No, none of that stuff is there. That wasn't in the original script as far as I know either. This is just me quarterbacking on Monday morning. Huh. Using a sports metaphor for all of you sports ball fans out there, because apparently in order for me to be liked, I have to talk sports ball. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I need the sports ball talk or else I don't know what the fuck you're saying. <laughs> It also appears that Terry stayed put in that room while she ran off. I'm guessing he just tried to hide, but she pretty much revealed where they were hiding, so she signed his death warrant, and I think she knows that she did, but the movie doesn't want you to like think about that or even worry about Terry at this point. You just need to be concerned about what's going on with this young model that we're following around, and we don't even know her name yet. Exactly. I'm not at all worried about what happened to Terry. Let's face it. I don't think anybody who watches this movie really is all that concerned with Terry at all at this point. Yeah. We're, we're all worried about this young, poor model who got herself mixed up with the wrong guy and ended up in a bad situation. 
Exactly. So as far as we can tell from what the story is telling this, it may have been that the killer heard her running through the house and then followed her outside. And it's possible Terry could have gotten away at this point, but none of us really wanted him to anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Uh, I hope Terry got busted. and Now he's a piece of shit. This actually begins what I have written in my notes as the dance of the slasher as she flees through the forest and he slowly pursues her like a tormentor. Oh, yeah. Step by step. He's moving ever so cautiously and quietly because he knows where he's going and she doesn't. So he's following her very slowly and she's darting off back and forth and all of that. And then at some point she ends up in this sequence fleeing into an overlit junkyard that is super fucking creepy with all the fog around. And she tries to move stealthily through the stacks of junk and all these piled up cars that are all stacked on top of each other and crushed. And she's doing all this like stealthy maneuvering through all of this stuff while the person that is tormenting her and following her, he's walking pretty much just making every noise that he possibly can. He walks into stuff. He's kicking things around. He closes car doors that are in his way. And he just basically heralds every fucking movement and every step while he is pursuing her. Yeah. And something tells me that during this entire sequence, he knows where she is. He knows exactly what she's doing. He's hurting her where he wants her to go. He's playing around and having a good time with her because this is the most fun he's probably had in a long time. Oh, probably. He enjoys the chase. It really seems to be the case because he doesn't act as though he doesn't know where she is or that he's even really looking that hard for her. And then he even closes the car door of the car that she is absolutely hiding in. And he acts as though he has lost her, although we get the sense that he knows that she's in the car. He can see her or knows that she's there. But he just kind of holds his gloves on this half-open window of the car door that he pushed shut. And then from her perspective, you see him kind of tapping on the window and it looks as though he's walking around. But then he just kind of slowly walks away from the car. Yeah. The film then cuts to or fades into the next morning where she is fleeing over open countryside. She makes it to a roadside that has a few manor houses just kind of rode up alongside the one side of the road. She flags down a car and begs for a ride into London. And because she is a lovely and lonely blonde lady, the guy totally agrees. Oh, of course. She then arrives at her home and checks the mail as if nothing has happened and there's nothing to worry about. Nah, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> she then enters her apartment and makes herself some tea as though she did not witness a murder or spend the night hiding in a junkyard. This woman just loses all fucking emotion at this point. Court, you don't understand the British culture, do you, at all? You're not worldly traveled, Court. A tea right now after witnessing a murder is the only thing you're supposed to do is have a tea right afterwards. In fact, she's pretty late on having that tea, so she has to do that first thing. <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? She opens one of her new letters, gazes outside, and the film cuts to her cleaned up in the kitchen when she sees her car from the night before just outside on the street. Now, now, I don't know if that cut was an actual cut that's in the original print that's the VHS that we were talking about, or if that was a film break or what's going on, but basically she's home, she feels like she's safe, and then she notices her man's car just across the street, just parked there outside of her home. This, yes. this obviously terrifies her, so she runs down to the car and rifles through it, looking for any sign of Terry. She finds her portfolio and then flips through it, notices that one of her glamour shots is missing from it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but was that not the cheesecake shot that the son of Terry was staring at? 
Oh yeah, big time. Okay, I thought so. I just wasn't sure if that was a detail that I missed. That's why I wanted to confer with you. Now, yeah. She takes the said portfolio inside and makes a phone call to what appears to be Terry's empty apartment. They cut from this to the model lady takes a cab ride over to what appears to be said apartment, looking for her man and finding it as vacant as her stare at her own photos. That was a little creepy. She starts staring at the photos of her on the wall, one of them being the cheesecake shot where she appears to not have anything on her top and yeah she starts staring at it and then all of a sudden all of the soul drains out of her eyes and she just looks dead in the eyes well she is a model so <laughs> so she has no soul is what you're saying but they're all dead behind the eyes yeah 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 that's exactly what i'm fucking saying <laughs> they cut from this to a goddamn baby baboon and a naked redhead in bed with that baby baboon well, yeah, I was like, what the fuck just happened? I, I thought maybe I was like, did did two movies just get spliced together? Because now we got a buddy film. Yeah, I mean, like, I want to know more about this hot naked redhead and her fucking baboon that's like all up on her shit, man. Does the baboon also drive a car? <laughs> Can it be taught? Or is it just a it, little baby baboon that's just all for snuggling right now? Snuggling with a naked woman. Well, I mean, if you're a fucking baboon, you could do a lot worse than snuggling with a redhead. I'm saying. Turns out that they are Terry's friends, or at least are friends of the model who we now know is Valerie because they finally fucking said her name in the film. And she came to them for help with finding Terry. Now, why this particular redhead knows Terry and why she's nude with a baboon in her bed never gets answered. It's just one of life's many mysteries for this film. And as they discuss finding Terry, that leads to our next clip. Terry's always mixed up in some shady deal or other. Whenever I've done business with him, it's always ended in disaster. Maybe I should go to the police. Are you mad? Go to the cops for what? In order to explain to them that you and your boyfriend broke into a house in order to steal a few things. I didn't go there to steal. Well, you honestly think they're going to believe you? You want to be careful. You're going to find yourself mixed up in a nasty business. But Terry has disappeared. He might even be dead. Oh, bad penis like him don't disappear that easily. He'll turn up when you least expect him. Oh. I shouldn't be surprised if he didn't start the whole business himself. Oh, don't be ridiculous. I saw a murder committed in that house. Oh. Didn't you even see the bloke's face? No, it was too dark. Well, couldn't you even tell whether he was old or young or short or tall? It all happened so quickly, I didn't get a chance to see anything. I don't know, I, I suppose it's about me, and Bill. They were in the shadows the whole time. Nothing in particular. She was talking all the time she was undressing as if she was trying to provoke him or excite him. And he just sat there and didn't say a word. Strange. To each his own. He just sat there, calmly smoking. When she was undressed, she moved towards him, sat on his lap. That's when he killed her. Well, just like that. Well, didn't they do anything first? I don't know whether they did or not. All I know is, that's when he attacked her with a knife. Must be impotent. Did Terry find what he was looking for? Yes, was it jewellery this time or hard cash? I don't know what he was looking for. I think he got the wrong house. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't see anything funny about it. He told me to wait in the car. I sat there for a while and then I got cold and worried. So I went in to see if I could find him. God, he was furious that I followed him. Would you know how to find this place again? Perhaps. No, no, I'd never recognize the house again. The fog was so thick last night. Look, if I were you, honey, I'd just sit back and see what happens. See what happens? Yes, it's by far the best thing to do. Well, probably nothing will happen. I'm still convinced this is all something to do with Terry. Look, this guy has taken a photograph out of my album. He's parked Terry's car right outside my house. He knows who I am and where I live. For all I know, I could be the next victim on his list. 
You don't seem to realise the trouble I'm in. Oh, come on, honey. Of course we realise. It's just that we're trying to sort things out more clearly. Now you just relax and drink your coffee and we'll try to find a solution. Well, I think they should sell very well. I'm afraid I won't be able to have those blow-ups for you for about a fortnight. You see, I'm rather busy at the moment. Well, as long as you make sure that the colour is spot on. You see, these are the pictures I want to push around the art galleries. Technically, there'll be no problems. I just need that time to do it in, that's all. Well, you said two weeks. Hmm. You want a cup of coffee? Uh, no, I won't, thanks. I'll have one. Coming up, Valerie. This is Paul. How do you do? Hello. This is the gentleman who made all these masks. Oh, fantastic. I'd love one of those. Really? Well, I've got quite a collection. You must come over sometime and choose one. I'd love to. Okay, well, uh, tell you what, give you my number. Perhaps you'd like to give me a ring and we'll arrange for you to come over. Okay, thank you. Could I have your number? Just in case you forget to call me. There you are. Thanks. Well, I hope to speak to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Nice guy, isn't he? Yes, he is. We've been on the shy side, I thought. But I thought he took quite an interest in you there. He's preparing a catalogue to send round to the uh, art galleries. He makes all his masks himself. They're rather good, aren't they? Fantastic. You're going to phone him? Maybe. Well, at least he'll be a better bet than Terry. He gives you a hard time, doesn't he? Why do you dislike Terry so much? Come on, love. I hardly know him. I've only met him on the occasions he's come to pick you up in that terrible old banger of his. Nobody likes Terry. Valerie, love, I don't give a damn about him one way or the other. But I don't like seeing you come here in the morning with a black eye. I'd have to suspend a session, that's all. Well, it won't happen again, I can promise you that. Hmm. Perhaps one of these days you'll understand my reason. After this, we have a cut of her returning home for the night as she finds a trunk in her building's lobby area. It's more or less the main entrance of the house that is now divided off into various apartments and flats. She then investigates a strange noise in the basement of the building to see what that strange noise might be. And I'm starting to like this woman a lot more because she is ridiculously brave. She doesn't need to be doing this, but she went down to check out that noise in the basement all on her own. And real quick, as if we didn't need any other more reasons to hate Terry, we find out Terry has punched her. Yes. I like how the photographer's main problem isn't that she's in an abusive relationship. It's that it fucks up his photos when she shows up with a black eye and he has to reschedule the session for after it heals. The modeling world isn't exactly known for having, like, you know, the cream of the crop of people who have human decency. It's almost like a business meant to celebrate solely and only the aesthetics of a person doesn't care about what's going on inside of them emotionally or their well-being so long as they can sell said aesthetics of the person hey 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 how dare you say things that are so true and factual what are you doing over there this sequence feels overlong but is quite creepy the way that they set it up as she goes wandering through the various discarded junk in that basement she is startled by some pigeons that are hiding out down there i don't know if she opens something up or knocks something over but all of a sudden there's just fucking pigeons flying around like maniacs in that basement yeah, yeah, a lot of pigeons going around. It's kind of weird. There shouldn't be this many pigeons. You should really be limited to one or less pigeons trapped in your basement. Yeah, we shouldn't have this many pigeons. <laughs> Why are there so many pigeons? They're both sure didn't pigeons. say there would be this many pigeons. <laughs> Listen, I gotta call the super. I, was, I wasn't I was told about all the pigeons. The pigeon escape does result in a very effective jump scare. It actually did make me kind of like, oh, what the hell? And <laughs> she ends up shaking it all off as you definitely will because, you know, it's what the hell. It's a bunch of pigeons in a basement that startled her. Of course, that's logical because somehow pigeons got down there. Yeah. She then shakes it all off and heads upstairs where she receives a phone call. I've been talking for too long. So that is now our next clip. Hello. Hello, Valerie. It's Paul. I met you this morning in Kent's studio. 
Oh, yes. I'm sorry. You caught me by surprise. Look, I I'm not disturbing you, am I? No, not at all. It's nice to talk to you. It's great. You seem interested in my masks. I wonder if you'd like to see the rest of my collection. Then maybe we could have a drink together. Are you free tomorrow afternoon? Yes, I am. That'd be very nice. I'll look forward to it. Do you mean that? I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. Five o'clock? Five o'clock. Bye. Bye. Okay, so the very strange effeminate mask maker guy is making good on calling Valerie to set up a meeting or a date or whatever it is, which seems like what Valerie would need knowing that Terry has abandoned her and he's an abusive piece of shit. Maybe it's the final push that she needs to get away from him and we can all have some hope that maybe nothing's weird about this guy who makes these creepy masks. Oh yeah, no, no. You know what? I like to think... I am a professor of the human condition, and everything I see tells me that this guy, he's on the up and up. It's a good character. Good cat. After the phone call, she finishes her cigarette, has another glass of milk, stares at Terry's junker car still parked across the street, and has a very sleepless night accented by the sound of her ticking alarm clock. Ticking clock seems to be a motif where time just keeps on moving in this film. Time just keeps on going by. Sands in the hourglass and all that. Thing I like about this dead Terry corpse, I keep getting older and it rots the same age. <laughs> she has a flashback of the flapping pigeons and rolls around in her bed before turning on her light and investigating what may have been some odd noises she hears or it might have just been her imagination, but she thinks she hears something on the other side of her door in the lobby area of her building, like up the staircase or something like that. She goes to the window after hearing hearing someone run out of said building. I think they tried to get into the room, but found that the door was bolted at the top, as we kind of experienced later on. She's been smart enough to at least put that bolt across the top to keep the door latched. Yeah. So that person basically got busted fiddling about with her door and then runs out of the building. And as she goes to look out her window and closes the window, she sees someone get into her boyfriend's crappy-ass fucking car and then drive off. Well, that's not creepy or nothing. Not at all. I think if I were her, regardless of what I had to do with the last thing with my boyfriend disappearing like that, I would probably at this point be going to the police and telling them what it was that I had experienced and or seen. Yeah, right. They cut from this to furniture being moved into the home as Valerie meets with her landlord. They have quite a long discussion about the goings on in business in this place. That's going to be our next clip. Hello. Oh, Miss Jennings. How happy to see you. How are you? Fine, thank you, Mrs. Dabney. I do hope you haven't been bothered by all this commotion. I just let the down floor flat. And you know, it's been in such a mess because it's been un uninhabited for so long. The new tenant is a solitary sort of person in search of a place where no one will bother him. I believe that he designates his time to the study of pigeons. Yes, I saw them in the cellar. Somebody must have put them there yesterday. An original occupation. Though I personally find him somewhat eccentric altogether. You know, he can't wait to get in. I explained to him that the flat was in need of redecoration, but that doesn't defer him in the slightest. By the way, I hadn't seen your friend Miss Collins just then. No, she's away in the south of France. Well, I must be going now. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye, Miss Jennings. Good luck with the pigeons. Well, this is the junkyard. The house can't be too far from here. I think it's over in that direction. It's a pretty deserted spot. Yes. Well, I didn't see any other houses. It was too foggy to see anything. 
That's the car. This place is worse than a maze. That's where I was hiding when the murderer came up to me. I was terrified. I was in there till dawn. It's odd that he didn't find you. I'm sure I would have. Look, there's a path leading into the woods. No, I'm sure the house is over in that direction. This damn house isn't going to be easy to find. No. Hey, come and look at this. But that's Terry's car. So first they put it outside your flat and then they dump it here. Let's have a look. There's no keys. Mm. We've made a mess of that. Valerie, this is Suzanne. Hello. Oh, I hope I haven't interrupted your work. I'm only too glad of an excuse to stop work. My eyes were beginning to ache. I'm very pleased to meet you, Valerie. Sit down. Let me take your coat. Thank you. Cigarette. Thank you. What would you like to drink? Whiskey? That'd be lovely. Thank you. Paul was telling me how he met you at Ken's photographic studio. He was very impressed with you. Having met you, I can understand why. I thought it was Paul that made the masks, but I see now that you're the artist. Oh, well, um, Paul makes the original design. I interpret them. Interesting. They must take ages to make. It would drive me mad. Oh, sometimes I'm hours, even days working on a mask. Ask without seeing how quickly the time passes. It's rather like those statuettes that the Incas and Aztecs make. You know, they look so simple and quite impossible to imitate. I love the Aztec art. Once, do you remember, Paul? We made a copy of a statue of an ancient Inca god. I suppose we worked on it for about six months, you know. You know, sketching, modeling, finishing. Studying all the minute inscriptions on the base of the statue, getting every detail perfect. I suppose it was the best thing I ever did. We finished it. It was dropped, smashed to smithereens. You know, when Paul was a child, I suppose he still is for me, he used to do the most fantastic drawings. Or well, my friend said that one day he'd become a great artist. What else could they say? Oh, I assure you, they were being quite genuine. I'd like to see the expression on your face if someone dared to contradict you. If he'd continued his studies at the Academy, he would now be a highly respected painter. But he tired of it. Yes, suddenly it became rather boring. And I was too tolerant. Well, thank you for bringing me home, Paul. Pleasure. Look, I'd like to see you again sometime. Is that possible? Yes, I'd like that. Well, I can promise you it won't be an invitation to tea with my aunt. Oh, how very British. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> That was the most British thing that ever British on this show. Almost, yeah, but she had tea with his aunt, who was very civil and basically interrogated him, what are your intentions with my nephew, without really saying any of those words. Yeah, exactly. All right, so they find Terry's car there at the very end of the clip where they go searching around, and they go through it finding that the engine has been completely destroyed. We also heard that in the clip. This investigation is then followed up by Valerie dropping by the mask maker's home that was there at the end of the clip. After this, she heads upstairs to her own home in the apartment building, and the new tenant in her building comes ominously out of his own flat after she is upstairs. The film then cuts to Valerie as she disrobes. We finally see Valerie nude in this film. Thank you, movie. Thanks, movie. The film then cuts to Paul's home and with his aunt who gets extremely sexual on him in a very molesty been doing this since he was a young boy kind kind of way roll tide she th- <laughs> call back she then disrobes and then mounts on top of him and starts fucking it out and she is completely nude and i will say that for an older woman she's keeping it tight yeah oh yeah yeah she she uh she takes her vitamins that's for that's for sure so thanks movie I guess. Thank you, movie. And here's the part where Matt's going to thank the version of the film that we saw, because guess what was a good portion of the film that was lost in this version compared to the one that you can see on YouTube, Matt? Uh, I'm guessing uh, a long, elongated sex scene between the nephew and uh, aunt. Yes, the incestuous yeah. sex scene between the nephew and aunt goes on for quite a while, 
and is quite graphic. And at some point, I think you actually hear the ant have an orgasm thanks to the toiling work of the nephew. Jesus Christ. It gets pretty far out there. Why do I keep drilling home to everybody that this version is on YouTube? Because that's probably the version you should watch because we didn't get to see it and that particular scene was significantly more disturbing when I was scanning through and then was like, hey, wait a minute, this is different. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why is this happening? The film isn't happy not showing us this sex scene, which goes on in great detail before cutting to Valerie's roommate arriving back at her flat and trying the door to find that her key isn't working. That leads to our next clip. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. What's the idea of bolting the door? You'll understand when I tell you. I've had such a terrible time since you left. You're looking very pale. You all right? Yeah. Look, it's a long story. I'll tell you about it when I'm dry, okay? Fine. Hey, I got your card. How was the job? Oh, fantastic. I'm so happy you're back. I've hardly slept since it all happened. Strangest man has moved in downstairs. You hear him walking around at odd hours of the night talking to his pigeons. What pigeons? Keeps them in his flat. Mrs. Dabney says he studies them. This thing with Terry. Oh, so incredible. You should really tell the police. Well, everybody warned me against it. You can't just leave things the way they are. Well, Mike thinks I shouldn't worry about it. He thinks Terry's just going to turn up. What do you think? I don't know. I've got the feeling that something terrible's happened to him. Something about that house set me on edge from the moment I arrived there. Well, that's understandable. Must have been pretty scary. Breaking in like that. I knew I was doing something wrong. Something must have gone wrong with Terry's plan. Either the safe wasn't where he expected it to be, or else we got to the wrong house, and that's quite possible. God, it's also absurd. It's an incredible story. The murderer saw me, he knows who I am, he knows where I live, and I know absolutely nothing about him. Terry's disappeared, and I, I only just escaped, and that's all there is at the moment. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, you're not going to the police, so what are you going to do? Good afternoon. My name is Hornby. I'm the new tenant of the ground floor flat. How do you do? It's a pleasure to meet you, Miss... Collins. Will you come in? No, thank you. I only called up to introduce myself and to apologize for any annoyance that my pigeons may have caused you. Oh, please don't worry about that. Although they did give me a bit of a fright when they first arrived. I'm so sorry. Didn't Mrs. Dabney tell you? No, she didn't. Well, I just wanted to warn you not to be alarmed if you hear the birds flapping around downstairs. I'm moving in today, and sometimes I let the birds out of their cage so that they can have a chance to flap their wings. Anyway, if they do disturb you, just give a few knocks on my ceiling. I'll take the sign as an informative one, not an unfriendly one. I didn't know that flat was fit to live in. Place is made inhabitable by inhabiting it. Don't you agree? Well, it has been a pleasure to meet you both. I do hope we'll meet again soon. Bye. Bye. Strange man. Very strange. Okay, so the new tenant in the building, I believe he introduced himself and his name was Herring. Red Herring. Yeah. Does that sound uh, right? Yes, <laughs> it does. <laughs> And the killer is Red Herring. Yeah, so the gloves of the new neighbor are totally a red herring, and they're trying to make us feel that he is the killer. He is going a little bit overboard to be a little bit creepy and weird, but uh, there's a reason that they're doing that in the movie. They want to kind of give you some more suspense and make you wonder, you know, what's going on? Are they safe? You know, is this the guy that's going to be putting her in danger? And really, is he just showing up there to see if she truly recognizes him, if he can continue to get away with his killing spree or whatever? 
whatever or what i mean what is it exactly the film's trying to make us feel that he's doing here other than just being a creeper uh, i don't know but i was saying this the guy just likes to raise pigeons why does he have to be a bad guy <laughs> i don't know because he's into birds i don't know yeah man fucking they probably have the bird flu after this we see the pigeon man in the basement moving a basket of his birds about as he takes one of them out and then spreads out its wings in a kind of creepy like fashion that makes you think he's going to harm the thing but they cut away from this before we can get any idea what's going on and that leads to our next mini clip anything more from terry no to go to the police not yet what about your mask painter friend? Actually, he phoned me that afternoon. I told you he was impressed by you. Mind how you go, though. He seems the delicate type. Don't worry your head about that. I know how to handle that situation. Hold it. Just there. Very nice. We then see a montage of Valerie dating the mask maker guy while his rapey ass molest your nephew aunt works on masks and drinks alone and is very clearly bucking jealous of what's going on. Oh, big time. The montage of the dating and falling in love of Valerie and mask maker Paul is this whole montage is set to the tones of Beef Oven, aka Beethoven, for those of us that are not fans of Bill and Ted. Who's not fans of Bill and Ted. I don't know. I just want to throw that in there because I want to say beef oven and then pronounce it properly. I love beef oven. <laughs> and that ends where the young Paul sits down with his aunt and that leads to our next clip. Why don't you leave her in peace, Paul? This girl can only cause you complications, don't you agree? Why do you say that? Oh. Am I that weak? Perhaps more than one should be. More than one should be. That's my opinion. In reply to your question, Paul, darling, and weakness can often be close to cruelty. Why get involved? She's only another girl. Valerie's different. I've never met anybody like her before. She's something very special. You ought to say the same thing. Why don't you bring your new boyfriend along? Well, he had some work to do this evening. He's a strange person. Not very sociable. Oh, no, not another one. Well, he's just different. How old is he? Paul, quite young. Yeah, that's what I'd imagined. It's difficult to say how old he is, really. In that flat with his aunt. He's just like a child. She smothers him. I think if he was on his own, he'd be much more mature. Anyway, he's very charming. I feel he needs protecting. And you're going to protect him? Well, he can't be worse than Terry. No, they're completely different. What's Terry going to say when he gets back? I have a feeling I won't be seeing Terry anymore. Oh, come on. Terry's always disappearing out of circulation. I'm still convinced this is all part of Terry's plan. Perhaps. Anyway, I don't particularly want to see him again. Oh, well, that's different. That's what you say now. But you'll change your mind as soon as he turns up. I don't think so. Not this time. Well, it's about time she realizes that Terry's a piece of shit. Right? Finally. And it's pretty obvious in that clip there that the aunt is extremely jealous of the young hot blonde that is dating her young Paul. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean. She is not happy. Wouldn't you be? You know? <laughs> Well, I mean, I wouldn't care if a family member was dating somebody else, but I am not from south of the Mason-Dixon line, so. <laughs> it's not the region, it's whether or not you're hot for your own relatives, which you clearly are not. No, that's gross. <laughs> no one really seems all that concerned with what actually happened to Terry, as he disappears all the time and then just shows up whenever he feels like it. And apparently, once he shows up, he patches things up with people and uses his quote-unquote charisma to force his way back into people's lives. Well, I don't think uh, anybody particularly likes Terry. Well, and it's one of those situations, too, where he does this 
so much that they're pretty much not concerned and it never even crosses their mind that the killer could have possibly gotten Carrie and killed him. They just think that he's on the lam because, you know, he got busted breaking into a house and then he's hiding from her because he abandoned her too. So, you know, what's that scenario all about with the car and everything? Right. And then also no one really seems to be all that worried that there is a killer stalking around Valerie who knows where she is, has a photograph of her that he took from a car, has her boyfriend's keychain, which pretty much has the key to her house as far as we understand it. And yeah. it's just going to get worse from here. I mean, no one really seems that worried about it. At this, at what point do you stop worrying about the possible implications of you being in a crime that you got busted for that you move on and tell the police, hey, uh, we broke into this country manor, witnessed a killer, and now he's after me. Maybe you should probably, I don't know, post a guard at my door something help me out get any of those queens guards who just stand there and you know they don't flinch or shit give me some of that <laughs> but make sure they move whenever the time comes for them to actually do the guarding part because we don't want them just to stand there and let the killer walk past through the door that's another good uh, point yeah that too after this they cut to the photographer developing photos of valerie then they cut to the pigeon man coming up from the basement with his basket o pigeons they then cut to valerie's sleeping roommate as the very real killer climbs the stairs to Valerie's flat. He tries the door, turning the knob, entering the flat. He sneaks about quietly in what feels to be a replay of what we saw in the opening of the film. Before this goes anywhere, they cut to the new Scotland Yard sign that we see very prominently on screen. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, fuck, finally she went to the cops. But oh no, it's much darker than that in our next clip. The person who committed the crime in your flat didn't make any silly mistake. He knew perfectly well the identity of his victim. She was knocked about, raped, then strangled with a belt, which all goes to prove that the murderer had ample time to identify her. Thank you. There's also no sign of the lock on the door being forced. He used a key for entry. Apart from yourself and Miss... Um, Collins. Collins, yes. Sir. Did anyone else have possession of the keys of the flat? Mr. Hornby, the new tenant of the ground floor flat, he had the keys to the front door. No, I didn't mean uh, someone living in the building. I, I thought perhaps um, a personal friend of yours or, or Miss Collins. Well, I don't think so. But couldn't this person have rung the bell and Lorna opened the door to him? I've just asked you a question to which you haven't yet replied. Keys? No, I'm sure Lorna wouldn't have given the keys to anyone. Not without telling me first. I see. You, um, you don't suspect anyone yourself. Did your, um, or rather, do you know if your, your friend had any um, personal enemies? You see, this might be a private affair. No, Lorna was such a friendly person. Nobody could have hated her like that. Well, it's our business to find out, Miss Jennings. In the meantime, Justin, go ahead with your natural life. But above all, don't fail to notify us of the slightest detail arousing suspicion. Then, if you decide, or rather need it, don't hesitate to call this number. But please, don't leave London without informing us first. Goodbye, Miss Jennings. Excuse me. I'm so sorry, Miss Jennings. If only there was something I could do to help. It's very kind of you, but no thank you. Come in here. Sit down. Thanks. Cigarette? No thanks. Some of your photos? Mm-hmm. Can I see them? Yes, do. I won't be a second. I'm just going to pack. Okay. Excuse me, but I have something for you. Miss Jennings, this envelope arrived in the morning post, and I picked it up by accident. Forgive me. That's all right. Thank you. I would so very much like to help you. If there is anything I can do, don't hesitate to ask me. No, truly, but thank you all the same. You're going away for a few days? If anyone should inquire for you, where can I get in touch? That won't be necessary. 
Okay, so the neighbor is trying his best to live up to his nickname that we gave him of Herring, Red Herring. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if anyone should wonder where you are, may I inquire where you're going so I might follow you there and uh, make sure that they get a message to you. Um, no, no, not at all. Get the fuck away from me, man. Perhaps it's my manner of speaking which makes you feel that I am very creepy and quite murderous. Listen, I have a taser. I swear to God. I assure you, I mean you no ill harm. I'm just a man named Herring. Alright, I'm using the taser. Red Herring, who is in love with pigeons. I'm gonna shoot you dead, sir. <laughs> Seriously, this guy is just dripping creeper everywhere. Yeah, right? Alright, so this whole scenario is bizarre. Why does no one seem all that affected by the deaths going on around them? And why is Valerie so emotionless discussing the death of her roommate? Her roommate was fucking beaten, raped, and strangled with a belt, and she feels nothing about it. She is completely soulless about the whole thing. She's a vapid model, man. What? <laughs> I mean, is that the only excuse that they're going to do? She feels absolutely nothing for the death of her friend. She has no emotion at all. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> Oh my god, I just, I wonder, I want her to feel something. I want her to react in some way, shape, or form. And she's just not doing it. She's like Kardashian the fuck out of everything. Yeah, pretty much. Why is she so emotionless? Why does she have nothing going on behind her eyes? How many times do I have to say this? The fashion industry is not a cesspool of humanity, all right? <laughs> is it not obvious to everyone in the movie at this point who the killer really is? Yeah, I think we all know. After watching the scene that we described earlier with the aunt fucking her nephew, do we not realize who the killer is at this point? I mean, are we really going to suspect the neighbor still? Are we? Do we really have to go through the rest of this movie? We all know what happened. And what the hell movie? Why is everyone so blasé about all these deaths? No one seems affected by the horrible, brutal rape and murders that are going on around them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Nobody feels anything. It's the British, man. Stiff upper lip. Just keep going. After Val and her new boy toy, Paul, who is in no way, shape, or form the real killer. Not at all. He's just a normal, well-adjusted young adult who happens to be in a sexual relationship with his aunt. What? A very heavily sexual relationship that involves making his aunt come hard all over the bed. Uh, I mean, okay, we didn't really have to go that far with it, but okay. The movie went there. I'm just reminding you that the movie went there and you were spared seeing it. Thank you. Thank you. It was actually kind of hot. Oh, dude. How many times did you watch it? Three. The pigeon. Uh -huh. <laughs> Four. Uh -huh. Five if you count the time I sobbingly masturbated to it. <laughs> The pigeon man watches the entire time and starts taking notes of what this pair is up to while having a drink or two. They cut from this to the countryside drive where Paul and Valerie enter the creepy fog land in his sporty car that pulls up to a country manor house that bears a startling resemblance to the house that Valerie witnessed the death in. No way, shape, or form is Paul our actual killer, though. Not at all. Man, is it not completely obvious what house she's pulling up to and she's in denial about it in any way, shape, or form. She really is. I mean, this is really bad. They head into the house. There are all sorts of warning signs in their discussions. That is our next clip. Here we are. The ideal spot for you to have a good rest and get away from everything. Does anybody live here? No, not exactly. My grandparents lived in this house. My mother and father, too. I was born here. That was my father. He was a highly perceptive man. Have you got a picture of your mother? No. Well, what? 
as she liked. Very beautiful. In fact, as beautiful as you are. Thank you. Well, don't thank me. If you knew, you certainly wouldn't thank me. Can a beautiful woman like you really understand certain problems? Well, why not? What has beauty to do with comprehension? My father always said that beautiful women only have one role in life. Your father was a very harsh judge of women. He had his reasons. You see, if my mother hadn't been quite so beautiful, perhaps my father wouldn't have hung himself in his room one night. We'll see if we can find some food in the kitchen. I'm not a very good cook. Oh, it doesn't matter. We can open a few cans and have some wine. Sounds nice. I make my mask here. Here? Well, no, I have a kiln down in the cellar, which I used to fire them. Well, I'll go down and get some wine. No, I think you better stay here. It's a bit dirty down there. You don't want to mess your clothes up. All right, I'll wait for you. Thank you for accepting my invitation to come here. Why shouldn't I have? Oh, I don't know. A lot of people dislike old country houses. Mm, not me. I love the country. So does Aunt Susanna. No, it's a pity she didn't want to come down with us. Oh, no, don't misunderstand me. She had to stay in town for personal reasons. Nothing to do with you at all. She'll be surprised to learn that you came down. Why surprised? Didn't you tell her? Well, I mentioned to her that I was thinking of asking you down. She passed it all off as a joke. How strange. I wonder why. I don't know. It's a bit complicated to explain, really. She likes to annoy me. It amuses her. Now, I'm rather tired of being treated like a child. Sometimes I think I'll tell her about it. I don't know. Maybe it's a bit cruel. What do you think? I think it's time you were a little more independent. Maybe. I'll get the one. This conversation with Paul was sending off all sorts of warning flags and signals. At this point, I don't, it's not that, like, I don't have the same hate for her as Terry that I did for Terry, but I'm kind of not really all that worried if she gets killed, too. Pretty much, you lose all concern for her after she really has no reaction to the rape, murder, and brutalization of her roommate, yeah. which is pretty much her fault. Yeah. Like, she should at least own up to what's happening and be like, oh, it's probably after me, but she's trying to hide this little petty larceny shit that she was kind of privy to but you know she wasn't really there when that whole th- like she was there but she didn't really do anything there and she could have totally been a witness of everything that happened but she's just like hiding everything because for whatever reason she was involved in that crime and like any fucking sympathy I've had for her has been worn completely thin at this point and I pretty much just don't care about her anymore same same all right so all of these warning flags are going off even before he heads down to the basement and the fact that he didn't want her to go down to the basement makes me wonder if there's a lot more dead bodies just chilling in that basement and that's where all those passports came from. Probably. That or a photo album that his, uh, you know, aunt keeps. You know, he doesn't want anybody seeing that. Whatever it is, he ends up leaving her there in the kitchen that looks suspiciously like the kitchen that was in the house that she helped burgle. She looks around and you kind of see her get the slight realization, but it doesn't look like the wheels are moving so fast in there for her to realize that she's in the wrong kitchen at the wrong time. You start putting two and two together yeah but like right now it's five yeah it's coming up five or three she hasn't quite reached to where it hits four (laughs) just yet he leaves her in that kitchen for an extremely long time that it allows her to rifle around and snoop before returning with some wine he finally pops up with some wine and they start having a little bit of dinner that's like pre-made cheeses that's packaged and tins of various stuff because she can't cook he's not interested in it so they're just going to drink and eat some food that's laying about the house the wind swirls about and valerie thinks she heard something upstairs. Paul talks her down, telling her, no, that's nothing. There's no one up there. It's nothing to worry about. But sure 
assuring her that they are completely alone, that he knows every sound that this house makes, that he's got it memorized. They cut to Valerie alone again, and she hears what she thinks is a woman's voice. She calls out to Paul and then finds her way up the stairs to look for him, then notices at the top of the stairs that it is, in fact, the exact same house when she sees that stuffed wildcat that she saw at the beginning of the film. They draw our attention to it again, so we know for sure she's in the exact same fucking house. She declares that it is not possible because two and two equal four, but she wants to be in denial about it because climate change is apparently not a thing in her brain and the world is actually flat or something. She just doesn't want to believe it. <laughs> she uh, she a flat earther? At this point, her denial of two and two being four, meaning her boyfriend now is the killer of her old boyfriend then? Yeah, she doesn't want to believe it. At this point, she's an anti-vaxxer who's wondering why there's a measles outbreak in Washington. She decides that it's not possible, then enters the room where the bed is still soaked in the blood of the woman that she witnessed getting killed. She finally says, oh my God, and realizes it's her fault the measles have taken over Washington (laughs) with her anti-vaxxer ways. And now she's going online to ask how she can protect her child that she is not vaccinated from the measles. (laughs) Exactly. She hides once again in the exact same spot that she was at before as someone comes up the stairs and it's Paul's aunt. She is looking for Paul as well. She pays no mind to the blood on the bed as though she knew it was there and what was happening all along. Valerie was hidden in the exact same spot as before this whole time when her ex's corpse falls on her with an excellent jump scare that worked on me quite effectively. Oh, that was good. Valerie pushes off Paul's corpse from leaning against her and he falls backwards revealing the naked corpses of two women. So thank you movie there for those two naked corpses. Oh, dude. Come on. What? can't do that. The actresses were very clearly alive because one of the corpses blinks her eyes whenever the rope that was around her neck falls down across her forehead whenever she falls backwards and then it falls across her forehead and across her eyes and you see her eyes close for a minute when the rope hits. <laughs> so the actress was alive. I can enjoy the nudity even though it's supposed to be a corpse and I would still enjoy the nudity. Oh, oh all right. <laughs> I'll let you have this one. This reveal has Valerie running for the front door and she is unable to to get it open, she sees the ant and starts heading towards her, only to be jumped by Paul and immediately strangled. This leads to our final clip. What's the matter now, you stupid little fool? You've got to finish it now, you know. You've got to kill her. There's no alternative. If she gets away, you'll be shut up for the rest of your life. Then, Paul, what that means? Prison or an asylum? Oh, no, Paul, no, Paul, I didn't mean that. I shouldn't have said it. No, Paul, you're not mad. Now, now, wait, Paul. Oh, please wait. Paul, I've always protected you. Paul. Oh, look, darling, don't you say that I'm the only one that can save you. Paul, please. With this, Paul flicks open his switchblade stiletto and stabs his molesty bad-touch aunt straight in the heart. Man, talk about cock-blocking himself, huh? Yep. We hear a siren going off in the background that gets louder as the morning sun brings police and Valerie runs off into the arms of what appears to be the Pigeon Man, who I'm guessing was a detective this whole time, so Detective Red Herring, maybe? I don't know, the film's not very clear as to what's going on with that. That already led the police there. 
something. I don't know what's going on. Either he was such a busybody, nosy motherfucker that he followed them out there and revealed what was going on, or my thought was the police knew the entire time what was up and they were staking out our house to try and find out what was going on, but the guy failed in his duty, and that's why the roommate got killed, because he didn't know the killer was sneaking upstairs. Something along those lines. I don't know. Something's happening. The film doesn't fucking bother to give you any of that. (laughs) Yeah, right? The film then cuts to Paul putting on his giallo gloves sitting in the home and fiddling about with his stiletto on his own. Then they roll credits to Beethoven's for Elise. Okay, so this film's a bit of a mess. Some of it has to do with the way it was all chopped up in the print that we watched, but the portions of it that are really quite memorable and really enjoyable are the sequences of Valerie walking around in a fog-lit atmosphere dripping woods or through a creepy dark house that's like kind of musty and dusty looking. That stuff is all there and it's all solid. And given that this is a very early film for LaRaz, not really that shocked that it has all the atmosphere and everything else that we would love to see later on. I mean, all the stuff that we saw perfected in Symptoms that you and I both were like really blown away by. Yeah. You see the makings and the beginnings of it right here. It's it is it's just I, I wanted at the beginning to enjoy this film. It just it was it was a great idea but poorly executed. Yeah, it feels like there's pieces missing and it doesn't just feel like it happened in the editing or that they cut it down for running time. It just feels like there's a bunch of open pieces that were left behind. Like Detective Red Herring, what the fuck is he doing there? It's as frustrating as any other like giallo type film that you watch where, you know, you have the reveal at the very end. Turns out it was this killer the whole entire time and everybody else is just, you know, Red or Redina Herring (laughs) that you've been thinking is the killer. I mean, it's just kind of the way that they do this kind of thing, you know? I mean, I don't yeah. I don't really know what else to describe it as other than that's just the way that it's always kind of handled whenever you're doing like a giallo type film where they want to do a murder mystery but they don't want to delve in too deep into giving you hints and clues they just want to like do the reveal at the end and then you kind of fill in the blanks on your own and it's mainly the perversion and the weirdness of the characters involved that make this murder mystery interesting to you yeah in that aspect, it's very much like a giallo, you know, where you kind of forgive the fact that it's extremely frustrating because you see this really visceral fucking incest thing going on. There's sexual murder and all of that. The only thing I can't get over is the complete lack of emotion on the part of our main character. She, they didn't even try to have her emote in any way, shape or form or feel like it's her fault or act like it's her fault. She's hiding things from the police still and there's no remorse. They didn't even give us a scene where she's curled up on the floor in her apartment or you know on her own when Paul goes down to the basement she breaks down and starts bawling at the death of her friend nothing we don't get anything yeah. like that it's like she no. she's never affected by that death at all she doesn't care and it is her fault I mean she should have more than just told her roommate what happened her fucking roommate and her should have been out of that house they should have had the locks changed she should have been doing all of this stuff that whole sequence where her roommate gets murdered I mean it doesn't even need to be there in the film other than just to establish that the stakes are still there and that her life is still in danger. Yeah. And it's not like the killer confuses her for her roommate and it was he was coming for her. It's more or less he's just getting his rocks off on this particular person for the hell of it because they're there. Yeah. I don't know. It's 
Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, and yeah, I really had a problem with it. It really took me out of the movie with the actress kind of just being deadpan and really only worrying about herself as well. Like, what is she gonna do? What is she like with Tony? That's understandable. He was a prick or Terry. I mean Terry. Terry. Whatever. He's, a prick. He's, he's not worth remembering his name. And there's too many exactly. good Terrys out there to soil the name Terry with this guy. But she, her roommate was a very much an innocent victim, and she couldn't give a shit less about her. I know, and it. That really kind of just soiled me on the entire film, and I stopped caring about her the minute that happened. Same. And also when she was just being dumb as shit, not being able to fit, put two and two together. Well, I thought that was just because she was blonde. No, it's because she's a model. Ah, six and one half dozen of the other. <laughs> <laughs> You know, all the blonde models out there that are listening to our show just got really upset and hit unsubscribe. They did. They did. Now we're edgelords. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to appeal to the one guy that hates me. Yep. <laughs> like, fucking court. This show is great. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Court's starting to say fucking shit that pisses people off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Where'd it go? Sexism. <laughs> we won again. <laughs> Yay. Men are back on top. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I've got really not much else to say about this film. I mean, it is definitely worth watching for the atmosphere and the cinematography. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I own the Blu-ray version of this for that, but it's an incomplete story. Yeah. Even with the full fully edited version that was Scream and Die, I think is what it was released as. Um, I'll have to see if I can find a better version of this under the Scream and Die that might be a Blu-ray and maybe someday, but I'm not dying for that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, it was a great idea, just somewhat poorly executed. But the cinematography and all of the directorial stuff worth watching for that yeah there is worth there is something worth watching in this so yeah i would suggest anybody watch this at least once yeah and if you don't want to spring for the blu-ray just check out the version on youtube you can still get an idea of the cinematography it's just not going to be that beautiful on the vhs rip yeah all right so yeah i got time to square away the news or is it getting too late for you do we just need to pull the chain on this and make it a shorter episode uh no we can do some news i got something here okay awesome so we're gonna take a little break here we're gonna play a promo for another podcast that really wishes it was on an episode where we seem to at least give a fuck about what's going on. <laughs> no. We're going to have a little bit more music from Beef Oven the Beethoven. Ah, Beef Oven. He's my favorite. <laughs> when we come back, we will do the PSYOP news. The bond between father and son has been magical throughout time. Precious moments spent together shape not only the son, but the father as well. Their contributions to the world will benefit all humanity. However, this does not apply to Dan and Brennan on the Corrupted Youth Podcast. This father and son duo explore the latest blockbusters, classic genre films, and the schlockiest of Golden Age VHS rental store flicks in spoiler-heavy fashion. What a couple of dongles. If you'd like to hear Dan and Brennan's precious father-son moments flushed away like so many turds, listen to the Corrupted Youth Podcast, available on Podomatic and Apple Podcasts.
we're currently playing what is more well known as the Moonlight Sonata, which is very peaceful and laid back and always makes yeah, me man. think of the Hulk walking down the road being very, very sad because it sounds very similar. Kind of. It's very similar with the, the piano play and everything like that. Was it the Hulk? It was Banner walking down the road. Two different people. Come on. Like anybody fucking watches the show for Banner. We're all watching it for the Hulk. We want Lou Ferrigno for the fucking two and a half minutes we get to see him on screen painted green. Dude, you're telling me you don't love Bill Bixby. That's what you're telling me right now. I'm telling you that when I watched The Incredible Hulk, I watched it for Lou Ferrigno hulking out and destroying shit. I didn't watch it for Bill Bixby telling me not to make him angry. You're you're un-American and possibly a communist. So there you go. You know what I feel is un-American and it's possibly communistic? What's that? Give me some psyop. We hit Alabama pretty hard, so... Hey, that's been accused of being a satirical story, by the way. Really? Yeah. Somebody was stating that that actually is satire. They don't think that was a real like news website or a news story. Uh, no, that was real. And uh, this one is also real. Nebraska father-daughter arrested an incest case. Yay! Incest at home! <laughs> Go Big Red! Uh, yeah, well, that that's fitting because you were saying Roll Tide about the other thing, so that's that whole sports yeah, ball thing. So blood go, jizz. Yeah, that's the go only thing I got red. for Big Red is... Blood jizz. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Grand Island, Nebraska. Two St. Paul, Nebraska residents who apparently are father and daughter have been arrested by Grand Island police on warrants relating to an incest case. The loving three-way with a corpse? Yeah, Travis E. Fieldgrove, 39, and his 21-year-old daughter were arrested Tuesday. It's going to cost you some serious cock. Shooting a fucking hot load all over this dog. You can't pay a bail? Well, I could probably fix you that can't pay for a, a bail? Well, I could probably fix that for a blowy. <laughs> God, he had her when he was 18. Jesus, that's fucked up, man. Well, okay, the only problem I have with this relationship is when did it actually start? Was she a full-fledged adult? Yeah. And was this a consensual thing? Or has he been molesting her for a very long time and they just now got busted? Even if it's consensual, it's still fucked up. I mean, sure. What do you mean, sure? <laughs> it's not my way. And yeah, I would be grossed out to try and want to fuck anybody in my family. But like, if somebody else really wants to do it, I'm not going to tell them that they can't. I just want consent and they have to be adults. Well, the case relates to the two being involved in an intimate relationship beginning in September of 2018. So she would have been 20. Okay, so clearly they're very close father and daughter. In Grand Island, Nebraska, despite evidence that Field Grove is the paternal parent of the woman. Mostly because according I put my to a press release. Okay, so did they know that they were father and daughter before they started knocking some out? It's micro penis time. I don't know. Here we go. The two were married October 1st, 2018 at the Adams County Courthouse in Hastings, according to an affidavit. Evidence leading up. Okay, how did they not know that they were father and daughter? They had to. Come on. I mean, come on. I have All the right. most confused direction right now. <laughs> Evidence leading up to the arrest suggests that Fieldgrove and daughter were aware of the biological relationship before being intimate and further indicates that they quickly married one another after being notified of the investigation. This is like traces of death fucked a porno. 
January 14th, investigators received laboratory results of DNA that Fieldgrove and the woman provided in September. The probability Fieldgrove was the woman's father was 99.999%. I'm a cunt. America is a bunch of cunts. So that 0.0001%. You know what happened? They got the results back and the dude's like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, he's a gambler, that guy. Uh, incest is a felony in Nebraska. It includes intermarrying and sexual relationships between parents and children. State law deems incestuous marriages as absolutely void. Field Grove and his daughter were charged with one count of incest in Adams County and one count in Hall County. They each face up to eight years in prison. A woman who identified herself as a daughter. Wow, just for fucking your relatives, you get eight years in prison. Yeah, yeah, wow. man. <laughs> I mean, you can shoot a place up and get, like, probation. <laughs> yeah, but you put your dick in a relative, and that's eight years automatically. Um, the, a woman who identified herself as this daughter's sister declined to comment during a phone call with the World Herald. The father and daughter were being held in Hall County Jail as of Friday morning. I'm going to shove the uh, porno magazine down your throat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. Uh, <laughs> statewide data for sexual offenses involving incest were unavailable Thursday. The grand Island Police Department and Hall County collectively reported one offense involving incest in 2017 and one in 2018, according to the Nebraska Incident-Based Reporting System. And Satan's cock. So, according to that and Satan's cock. Yeah, and this uh, was from the Omaha World Herald. So, <laughs> there you go. That wasn't satire, you jerks. <laughs> So, from the sounds of this, they didn't know they were father and daughter, or they tried to pull a fast one and they got busted? Yeah, I, I think they tried to pull a fast one, and somebody must have dimed them out, and then, you know, when they were like, ah, shit, they got married real quick. Something like that. I mean, somehow this DNA test came into play for them to be able to get married, and then that's what ended up causing the issue here. But, man, that's just fucked up and weird and sounds about like right for Nebraska, I guess. I I guess, especially out in the middle of Nebraska. It can get a little dicey out there. <laughs> Let's face it. You go too far in any direction outside of either Omaha or Lincoln and it starts getting dicey. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not a lie. <laughs> Yeah, this state is all sorts of fucked up, and it's better just to fly over it, folks. That's why they call it flyover country out here. That's right, man. Just leave us behind. <laughs> just listen to our podcast. That's all you have to do. You don't have to visit. <laughs> and the only reason you want to listen to our podcast is because we're edgy. Yeah, we're edge lords. <laughs> <laughs> we're edge princes. I'm an edge king. You're an edge king? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're just a couple of edge douches. <laughs> I'm so edgy, I don't even care about trying to be edgy. I just am naturally, Matt. <laughs> All right, enough of this. I'm so edgy, I'm starting to cut myself. Oh, <laughs> uh, can you come over and do my lawn? Oh, I'm not that kind of edge. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take one final break here. We're going to play a promo for another podcast that really wishes it was not featured on a show where we stopped giving a fuck for the night. We're going to have a little bit more music from Beethoven, the Beethoven. And when we come back, we will close out this overlong, fucked up, boring ass, piece of shit fucking show. Are you sick of the same old stale podcast? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, 
and first-time watchers to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Piano Sonata number eight. That's what we're listening to right here. And of all of the stuff that we played so far tonight, Matt, this feels the most like the cartoon influence that I was talking about where you hear classical music. You can actually picture a cartoon character rolling around and trying to do something nefarious while tiptoeing about to the piano. <laughs> Runs Bring in me this. the rabbit. Bring <laughs> me the rabbit. That's more Wagner, but yeah, you, you get what yeah. I'm saying there. I think actually Chuck Jones was more of a fan of Chopin. I, I believe he might have used a lot more Chopin stuff, but I'm probably talking out of turn. Someone who knows both Looney Tunes and classical music, you can fix me up on that and tell me what Looney Tunes is being used there. And tell you what, yeah. record it as an MP3 and give us some examples and like, you know, spend some time on it and we'll play it on the show and discuss it. All right. <laughs> and that's one of the best ways to support the show is to give us some feedback, give us some something to kind of work with on the air. Join our Facebook group, Cinema PsyOps. 
where you can post memes, make all sorts of alternative photography, or even just put us into a photo where we don't belong, like the photo that our boy Chris made of Matt and I as Frank and Fletch from Fletch Lives, <laughs> which became the cover photo for the group. The more I looked at that, the more I fell in love with it and decided to do it. Oh yeah, it was too, way too good. Yeah. I'm on Facebook as Court Psyops. Matt is on Facebook as Matt Psyop. Hashtag don't dox me, bro. Don't dox me, bro. You can find us on our main Legion podcast landing page, legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. You can email feedback to Matt, psyopmatt at gmail.com, where you can tell him to fuck right off for calling everyone edgelords all the time. <laughs> all the time. I just started this show. <laughs> you can email feedback to court, cinemasyopscourt at gmail.com. Let him know that you never want him to do another solo show again because the only reason you listen to this show is because of Matt. Because Matt is all you care about because he's so goddamn edgy. Yeah, edge douche. <laughs> Hashtag Matt's an edge douche. Hashtag edge douche. There you go. You can find us on Twitter where you can twit a couple of tweets to a couple of twats. I'm at court underscore psyop and he is at psyop Matt. I've had a few interactions on there that haven't had me basically giving up on Twitter altogether. I'm working my way through now where I'm ready to just go ahead and start muting the fuck out of a lot of different people. And that's making my twatter experience a little bit better. Oh, there you go. And I've also found that uh, clicking on the uh, hide all from whenever somebody's posting weird stupid memes from places that I hate has also made me a lot happier in my Facebook experience so there you go oh there you go yeah and also if you guys want to just slide into our DMs you know and show us your edge lords that'd be nice You know you're going to get videos of people just edging on you, right? Uh, probably. And <laughs> you're okay scissoring. with that? I, I want scissoring. More scissoring, though. Hashtag scissoring enthusiast. <laughs> exactly. While you're out there yourselves being edgy, being on the now, figuring out what it is that you want to do with your life, and ignoring the fact that your roommate was murdered, kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch. <laughs> <laughs>